0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. We'll uh, dive in, in just a second, but two things real quick. Um, after we finish this series, uh, which is two weeks long, de- first uh, weekend, December, December 3rd, is Celebration Sunday. Second year we've done this, one of our favorite honestly, now Sundays of the year where we're just going to celebrate all that you've done, we've done as a church over this last year. This year, it's going to be driven by just a ton of stories and an incredible Sunday and actually a great Sunday to invite somebody because if you know somebody and you do, who's kind of walked away from the church, not sure about the church thing, this is a great Sunday as we talk about, again, what you've done and also what we believe God's vision for the church is. So that's December 3rd. Also, um, if you weren't here at the beginning, It's also our unfiltered radio lunch right after the service. Some of you might be interested in this. This is very kind of on the download generally, but we reach um, around Central Florida and beyond about 3.2 million people right now um, and have an opportunity in um, Southern California, San Francisco, and about 8 million people surrounding it, which is just absolutely crazy what's happening. And we never talk about it. So if you are interested in knowing more about what is our largest outreach by far in reaching a ton of people who are kind of uh, away from church, away from faith, you can just stay after. It'll only be about 45 minutes long. On the 3rd, um, you can grab lunch. If you're a business owner, you may be interested in this. So go to the app to check out the details. Um, If you just want to get free lunch, um, you can also just show up and do that. So that is December 3rd, um, and I'm I'm super excited to tell you about some of what God is doing. So with that, we're starting a two-week series on gratitude, which is kind of cliche around Thanksgiving. We normally stay away from that, but we finally gave in. So for the next two weeks... We're going to talk about it. And here's the thing um, to kind of begin this conversation I think that's important. For most of us as human beings, and this isn't a faith thing, so regardless of what you believe about God or Jesus, this is just a thing, but feeling grateful is almost a universal experience. Like people just feel it. So you get on the other side of something that was good or some kind of big win or the Bucks ending a four-game losing streak last week, and there's immediate gratitude, right? Anybody with me? Um, thank you. I even got a clap at the 11. So there's that. And then there's even getting on the other side of something difficult that you've made it through. And there's just almost this immediate feeling of relief and this intuitive sense of, I'm just grateful. So that's intuitive for most people, regardless of what they believe about God. But what is not intuitive is the expression of gratitude. Feeling it is almost natural. Expressing it is not. And here's the thing that's a little bit, um, I don't know, a little in your face, but to quote a mentor of mine years ago, this is the reality for all of us, that unexpressed gratitude at the end of the day is actually just ingratitude. And yet we don't ever feel that way because we, a lot of us, we feel gratitude, like we feel grateful, but really unexpressed gratitude is kind of this this nonverbal, hey, I don't know if I really value what you bring to the table. I don't know if I really value your effort. I don't know if I really value your sacrifice. But it's unexpressed gratitude. It's really just an experience of, or an expression of ingratitude. But we never feel that way because we always feel it. But feeling is not the same thing as expressing it. And that's just true in every area of our life. I mean, that's true in, you know, the relationships around us. That's true with our kids. That's, that's true in the workforce, um, you know, with employees or employers. I mean, whatever it is, that's true about gratitude. So what I want to talk about for the next two weeks is what that looks like in terms of expressing gratitude in relationship to other people, which is a big deal we'll talk about next week. And today, what does that look like to express gratitude in relationship with God? Because here's the other thing. In relationship where somebody else goes all in and expresses gratitude, that is just a natural open door to deeper relationship. Like think about the people that are that in your life. Generally, those relationships are deeper because that's just what gratitude does. And so that happens in human relationships. That happens in our relationship with God, which is what I wanna talk about today. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, I say this all the time, I hate the whole church dynamic culture where people are investigating and then somebody's like, well, God said, and you're like, well, I don't even believe in God. So you're off the hook. You don't have to do anything that Jesus said because you didn't sign up to be a Jesus follower. And with what I'm about to talk about, you might be glad for the next 40 minutes that you're not a Jesus follower. So congratulations and welcome to church because here, here is what Jesus said because the primary kind of connection that Jesus makes between feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude is in the area of our stuff and our money, in our finances. And again, I'll say this several times. I didn't make that up or say that. Jesus did. Because immediately, like, there's tension, which I absolutely get. I mean, every time I talk about any of these types of subjects, I I recognize the tension in the room, bad experience. I can't believe that. You invited somebody today and you're like, oh, crap. Worst Sunday ever to invite somebody. I get all of that. But I am not overstating when I say this. This area which you don't have to do anything with it. I joke about this every time too. Some of you, you listen on radio every week, podcast, you're, you're here in the house, you listen to me preach messages, and then you leave and you're like, not doing anything with that. So just make this another one of those Sundays if this makes you nervous, right? But here's the thing, this has the power, I'm not overstating it, to change the trajectory in some ways of your life. And this is something that I was taught early on that I am so grateful for. And I would go back and I would do it all over again. And I would practice this all over again because it has been one of the primary spiritual practices of my life that I think has affected my marriage, my parenting, um, my future in some ways, because ultimately God really does desire something for us. I mean, the whole idea that anytime Jesus mentions money that he's after something, I mean, come on. Like Jesus is gonna retire fine. Like Jesus is good. He doesn't need anything from us this is about what he wants for us and here's the thing Jesus talks about money and sex more than he talks about any other subject in the new testament 16 of his 30 plus parables guess where people get in more trouble than any other areas of their life have you already guessed it money and sex when they come in for counseling you can almost peg it chance somehow this weaves back to money or sex. It's just a universal thing. So maybe we should take seriously what Jesus said about money and sex. That's a different series. So, and here's what Jesus said about money, money. And you know this already money is, is morally neutral, Money is not wrong. In fact, Jesus never teaches poverty theology. Jesus teaches, God's blessed you. You see that that all throughout the scripture. Don't feel guilty, just feel responsible. But money is morally neutral. But here's what Jesus does teach is that money can add meaning to your life. Absolutely can. In fact, there's statistics around that. I'm not gonna go through them, but money can add meaning to your life. But money is not the meaning of your life. Your acquisition of stuff is not the meaning. And everybody would affirm that, but just the reality that that's true. In fact, it, you, I've done a lot of funerals. Nobody gets any airplay at a funeral around their 401k or whatever or their other investments. Like I go to funerals all the time and nobody says, hey, let's just talk about their Bitcoin for just a second. But like, nobody does that. It gets no airplay. But money can add meaning to your life when it becomes, this is so important, a means to an end That's bigger than you, that you begin to live your life beyond the, the lie that it's the assumption it's all for my consumption and instead live in a different way. And it's what Jesus taught all throughout the scriptures. But here's what he teaches that gets, we may hate talking about this even more than money, and that is that to move from just feeling gratitude or feeling generosity to actually expressing gratitude and generosity, it really centers around one word that we hate to talk about, and the word is self-control. Because here's the reality in every area of your life, not just like money stuff or, or stuff stuff, but self-control in your life in my life determines what gets determines what gets control your self-control determines what gets control what dominates your thinking what dominates your life your habits your decisions that's just true of all of us and it's especially true in relation to our stuff our money our pursuit of stuff and here's how I know this because if you were to go to about 90 percent of the world's population. And I check those numbers. You can Google all that for yourself. About 95% of the world's population. Most of you, and I know you don't think about it on radio, listening, you're in the house, you would be considered wealthy to about 95 percent of the world's population you don't think that because you compare yourself to everybody else and they just got a you know bathroom upgrade and like where did that money come from and we're you know we're barely surviving and we only had three Amazon packages on our doorstep this week but it is so weird it is tough and you know it, Bob who's like killing it at work and yet you're a little bit you know skeptical of Bob because he cheats and like the whole thing we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else so we don't think that way but 95 percent of the world's population if they were to sit down and have a conversation with you and you were to describe to them how much you have and how much you make, which you don't think is a lot because you compare it to everybody on Instagram, but if you were to describe how much you have and make compared to how much financial pressure you feel, they would look at you like you're crazy. They would look at you like you're a little insane. They would not understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. If you're described what you feel in terms of financial pressure and how much you have and how much you make. That's just statistically true. But here's the thing that just happens for the majority of people is that as they have more, which most of you do in comparison to the rest of the world, they have less margin. And because they have no margin, they ultimately feel financial pressure. This is what, if you talk to people, this really has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with what you do with what you have. I mean, I have friends you sit down with, they make a half a million dollars a year, and they're like, I feel so much financial pressure. I was like, well, what are you doing with your money, man? Because it has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with what you do with what you have. And ultimately, because the majority of Americans, I'll just speak for Americans, because they live without any financial margin, the pressure that we feel as a result of that cancels out the expression of gratitude that we feel. Because the reality is a lot of us feel grateful. And especially if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, again, you don't have to do any of this. We're going, God, I'm so grateful for your life, for your forgiveness. You've given me purpose. You've given me a hope, a future beyond this life. I mean, you have changed and rearranged everything about my life and I am so grateful. And yet in the area of expressing that gratitude through generosity, we can't even though we feel it, but because we live in such a way that our financial Pressure and lack of margin in terms of feeling grateful can't be expressed. And then we automatically go to this thing where we think, Well, I just need more money. (laughs) Jesus is like, You just need more self control. Because ultimately, self control in every area of your life determines what gets control and how your life is directed. And, And here's the thing Jesus talks about this over and over again money is always a better servant than it is a master. Get morally neutral, enjoy it. God's given you gifts, steward it well. Don't ever feel guilty, just feel responsible. But when money becomes a master in your life where it starts to control you, control your thoughts, control your ambitions, control what you do, control how you think, control what you do in terms of helping and being a part of God's mission, then at that point, it becomes a master in your life. And money is a terrible master. It's a really good servant. And money will, 100% of the time, will listen to you and it will go where you tell it to go. It is a great servant. It's a terrible master. And that's where kind of our faith and our gratitude and our generosity all intersect. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, great day to be here. You don't have to do any of this. But I'm telling you, this could help your life. Here's what Jesus says um, in some famous verses I looked at several weeks ago. So I'm just gonna touch on these and move on. But it helps set up the point where Jesus says in Galatians chapter five or 16, so I say, what's the word? Walk. Walk by the? We talked all about this for three weeks in October, but basically, just to recap, walk in rhythm with the Spirit of God. That thing or internal nudge in you, that conscience thing that I should, that I shouldn't, I should rearrange that, I should pay attention to that voice, whatever it is, that thing that won't leave you alone. He says, I want you to walk by the Spirit. I want you to pay attention to that internal nudging, that internal voice. And then he tells us where paying attention to the Spirit of God leads us. And this list, I've said this before, but this is how you want your mother-in-law to behave at Thanksgiving. This is how you want your ex to to act because things would go better. This is what you're hoping for your kids eventually. I mean, this is just a universal thing. Even if you don't believe in God, this is what you want. Because here's what he says is the byproduct of the spirit of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and what? And peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And what? And this is so important. Just, Just go with me for a second and then you can check out if you're done. This is so important. And we talked about this a little bit in the Holy Spirit series. When you pay attention to that internal nudging, the leading, the directing, the guiding of the Spirit of God in your life, the Holy Spirit always leads you in the direction of self-control in every area of your life. Like the byproduct of following the Holy Spirit is self-control in every area of your life. And here's the thing, everything on this list, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of it wars against the internal appetites of our soul. You know what I'm talking about when I, I say that? Here's the thing, God has given us really good appetites and really good desires, and as I've said to you before, every good desire can be distorted. I mean, every good desire for marriage and God's gift in marriage can become a codependent train wreck. Like every good desire to to parent, to foster, to raise kids can become the source of your identity where you crush them under the weight of that. Like good wine and enjoying God's gifts can become alcoholism. Like the desire for sex, which God created, owns the patent for it, can become perversion rather than the pursuit of pleasure within God's confines. Like everything God created, every appetite can be distorted. And everything on this list wars against our appetites when they're outside of God's will for our life. And here's the thing about appetites, not just food appetite. Sex appetite, desire for recognition, desire to be valued, desire to achieve, whatever the appetite is. Appetites by definition, the more you feed them, the more that they grow. An appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. It always wants more. And when you feed it in a wrong direction outside of God's plan, that thing just is a beast, man. It just keeps growing. You just keep wanting more. It's never satisfied. And so Jesus is basically leading us to go, listen, everything on that list wars against your internal distorted appetites, including your appetite for more stuff more acquisition, I just need a little bit more to feel okay, your desire for security and so we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus knows and understands that nobody wants to be mastered by their appetites and in fact, I mean, just people on radio right now who are listening, many who are in here have spent a lot of money trying to overcome appetites that ended up dominating their life. And so Jesus says, I don't, I don't wanna lead you in that direction because by the way, you already have a king. You already have a master and he is better than being mastered by an appetite that's been distorted where you just follow it down a road and you end up in a place where you can't say no any longer and you are ruled and you are dominated by that. And so instead of that, I want you to be led by the spirit of God in every area of your life, including this area of your stuff. And then he makes This brilliant statement. And Luke records it after interviewing eyewitnesses in Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two, what? Two masters. Greek word, kurios. One in charge by virtue of ownership. And immediately, like 2023, we're like, nobody dominates me, nobody owns me. And Jesus is like, eh, hang on. Hang on a second. No one can serve two masters because you cannot serve both God and what? Now, just real quick, because I know some of you know that verse. That's a crazy statement. Because if, like if this is the first time you're hearing it, if you were one of the people there when Jesus is saying this, that's a nut statement because you're thinking, okay, if he's going to draw a contrast, it's like, hey, just be careful. You can't serve God and be a Satan worshiper. And you're like, got it. Can't serve you know, God and the devil. You're like, got it. But it's so much more. I mean, the majority of people aren't doing that. It's much more subtle than that. Jesus makes an incredibly powerful statement when he says you can't serve God and pursue God and live with gratitude and pursue stuff, not that stuff is wrong or the acquisition of stuff is wrong, but when you get to the place where it starts to become the dominant thing in your life and it cancels out generosity and gratitude, you're in trouble. In fact, to paraphrase, here's what Jesus is saying. The chief or the primary competitor for your heart and your devotion, this is a big statement, is your stuff. The chief competitor and the chief kind of like, thing vying from my attention, from my devotion in my heart is my stuff. And then that really leads us to the question that Jesus is, is really asking us. And that is, do you, ha- do you have money or does money have you? That's really the question. Not is it wrong, but does money have you or do you have money? And immediately I know what our answer is for the majority of people. Like 95% of people are like, nope, because I don't have enough for it to have me. And if I had more, maybe it would. Because again, we compare ourselves to everybody else, the next person down, the whatever, this guy who's you know three promotions ahead of us. I mean, whatever your barometer is, that's what's so tricky about this. We're like, no, 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 it might. That, that's a great question, and you know, luckily I haven't been tempted like that. But I would like it. So God, if you would, you know, just try me. But we think, no, I, I don't have enough to even be tempted. So who is Jesus talking about? I, I don't know. Is He talking about some of you that are? going to get five Amazon packages over the next two days and you can't really remember what you bought anymore. So it's going to be kind of a pre-Christmas Christmas surprise. Is it, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes if you've, if you've to other people around the world, the economic, they're in a much different place. It, it's so interesting to have those conversations because they're dumbfounded by things we even think of where they're like, Hey, you this, let's get this straight for a second. You have a house for your car. They're are like, yeah, yeah, I do. I have a house for my car. You dump like perfectly good drinking water on your, your grass? I'm like, yes, I do. And then I complain about the neighbor who does the same thing but never mows his lawn. Like we do that all the time. And they, they're dumbfounded by it. So who is Jesus talking Is he talking to any of those people? Which is a lot of you. The reality is you just talking to everybody. Because here's how you would define what Jesus is saying. Jesus is basically making the point that everyone is at risk at making their stuff or making money ultimate, or the ultimate pursuit, or the ultimate concern, which by definition makes it ultimate. And money can be your ultimate concern if you're making a million a year or you're below the poverty line. But he's like, when you get dominated by more, more acquired, do I have enough security? And it becomes the driving force for what I do and what I think about that ultimately it becomes ultimate. And think about this, if, if you're a Jesus follower, just talking to you for a second, isn't it kind of crazy sometimes how we can, I mean, for some of you surrender so much of your life of like, God, I trust you for my eternity, which is like forever. My forgiveness, my life, my identity, my hope, my future, I give it all to you. And then how difficult it is to surrender in the area of our tangible stuff to put God first in those areas where money, our desire for stuff, our acquisition of stuff, our pursuit of stuff. And Jesus is like, listen, I know you feel grateful as a follower of Jesus. I want you to live grateful in terms of expressing it in relationship because just how in the human relationships, when you lean in and express gratitude and not just feel it, it deepens relationship. The same is true in terms of relationship with God. When you not just feel it or sing a song or raise a hand, but you actually express your gratitude in a tangible way, it has the same effect in flesh and blood relationships. That relationship deepens and God is going, I want that for you. I'm not after your stuff. I'm good. I own it all. But I wanna invite you into deeper relationship and I want you to live a life where you express gratitude through generosity because your life will be better when you do. And Jesus was so direct, man, that basically, and again, take it up with Jesus. I didn't say this, but if you haven't surrendered, what you have, you haven't really surrendered. And if you haven't surrendered access to what you have, God doesn't really have access to you. But then all of that creates a tension because you're like, okay, but so is it, is it either or then? I mean, what about me? What about my life? What about like the concerns of life? And Jesus addresses all that. So he says this, he, he answers the tension that all of us feel. In Matthew six thirty-three. many of you have heard this verse, but seek One more time, a little louder, but seek what? Basically, he's going, this is the anecdote. This is the anecdote for more, better, gotta upgrade, is it enough? I don't feel secure, better, more, enough. He's like, the anecdote to that is not, again, it's not either or. This is not poverty theology. This is not give away everything and follow Jesus. This is something has to come first. Something has to be the priority in your life. If you're gonna rearrange your world and live according to what Jesus has called you into, and this is the way to do it. Something and somebody has to come first. So Jesus says, but seek first. And here's the reality, I mean, you know this. What you're grateful for, you prioritize. What you're grateful for, you prioritize. And here's his invitation, but seek first. His what? His kingdom. And his? Righteousness. And I love this. I wish I had like a whole message just to unpack this one thing because this is so countercultural. If if the church, I'll just talk about the United States for say, if, if they could just, if we could just get this, it would change everything. In a culture that's about autonomy and independence and getting mine and taking care of me and protecting my rights, I I just don't know how we missed these verses. Jesus ushered in com- something completely subversive. It's completely upside down that we're still trying to catch up to because it's not as sexy as kind of the American way, but it's the way of Jesus where Jesus says, no, no, I'm inviting you in to an others first upside down kingdom. And if you watch Jesus, it is shocking where he says, this is what I want it to look like to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. If you want to know what righteousness looks like in that kind of kingdom, just watch Jesus who fearlessly and courageously put you first who fearlessly and courageously put me first and then he says to us and all of humanity i'm inviting you into an others first kingdom where you don't go first anymore I'm inviting you into something where you give up your life for the sake of other people. I'm inviting you into a kingdom that is upside down. It's bottom up. It is you put the needs of other people before you and you prioritize God before you. And it seems like that's the way to like pain and misery misery and a horrible life. And yet the opposite is true. Jesus invites us in a life to the full where he says this counter cultural way of following actually produces more peace than you're gonna find by prioritizing you first. It's gonna produce more contentment. It's gonna produce more gratitude. It's gonna produce more generosity. But I am inviting you into an other's first kingdom. And to quote a mentor of mine, when you follow Jesus, wherever Jesus has called you, Jesus will make your life better and he will make you better at life. I mean, to quote what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who give rather than receive. And you're like, are you sure? And yet the original Greek translation is happy. Happier is the person who gives, who lives a life like that, that gives away rather than receives because you've been hardwired to live your life that way because it's at the heart of your Savior who came not to put himself first, but to put you first. And now he's invited us into that kind of kingdom. And it's hard to amp up the emotion, but Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, when he illustrates all of this, he's about to die and he knows he's about to die and he's gonna do it willingly. (laughs) His followers are behind him arguing about who's gonna be second in his new kingdom, which they think is gonna be a political movement, not unlike evangelicals in 2023. And Jesus is going, no, no, it's not a political movement. It's an upside down kingdom where we sacrifice our lives for the sake of other people who are not like us because the gospel's for the whole world. But they're arguing about who's gonna be second in the kingdom. And so Jesus turns around and he's like, hey, do you guys wanna be great? And they're like, yeah. He's like, well, you know how it is in our culture that if you wanna be great, you leverage your greatness for your benefit. Like you get to the front of the line, you get the VIP seat, might makes right, that whoever has the power sets the course of morality. You're like, yeah, yeah, we want that. And Jesus turns to these guys, eyeball to eyeball, and says, not in my kingdom, not in my movement, not in what I'm creating, because I'm creating an upside-down, other's first kingdom, and that's not how it works anymore. And then he shuts down all of the debate when he says this, Mark records it, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And if anybody could have played the God card and just come to earth to go serve me, it was Jesus. But even the son of man, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to do what? Give his life as a ransom for the world. And I've talked about this so many times, but you know, finally they get to Jerusalem, right? And I talk about this a lot because it's such at the epicenter of of Jesus exemplifying what it means to follow him, which I wish we could remember, where he gets in the upper room and he's got his followers. He's hours away from being betrayed and crucified and they realize they didn't hire a foot washer, which was common practice in the first century. So they're all at the table and they're not sitting you know, in seats. They're reclining on top of each other on the floor. And Jesus, after all of them arguing like, well, I'm not washing anybody's feet. Jesus, Messiah, Rabbi, the one they believe is the King of Kings, gets up from his seat, walks behind them. They can't make eye contact. They're on the floor reclining and he begins one by one by one to wash their feet. And there's silence. And takes off his robe as a sign that he's laying down his authority symbolically. And then when he's done, washing those feet, which is a long time. He gets up, takes his place, you know, basically like Indian style at the table, reclining, puts back on his robe, turns around to everybody else at the table. And John records it because John was there. And he says, you call me, Jesus said, teacher and Lord. And rightly so, because that's who I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I'm just telling you, if as Jesus followers in the application of every area of our life, if we could just get this, verse 15. I have set you a what? Let's try that one more time. I have set you a what? that you should do as I have done for you. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. And in essence, Jesus is going, I flipped the script on the cultural kingdoms of this world, it's gonna look different to follow Jesus and I'm inviting you into an others first upside down kingdom and he would turn to those guys and go, are you guys down for that? And they would go, we are. And then hours later, right, they would watch the king give his life for his subjects and the world would never be the same again. And Jesus would say to them and then say to us, so I'm inviting you into others' first kingdom. Everybody else first, you second. God first, you second. I'm inviting you into seeing the world the way I see the world, seeing people the way I see people, living with generosity through gratitude. I'm inviting you into that kind of life. But then that leads us like this is a practical thing, like, and you don't need to be afraid to talk about, it. okay, but yeah, but what about, like I got, I got kids that gotta go to college, I gotta like, you know, I gotta pursue things. I've got I've got a family, I've got dreams, I've got stuff I've gotta take care of, I've got things I gotta re- pursue, I've got retirement. Like, how how do what like what does this practically look like? Because again, Jesus is not advocating poverty theology. He's advocating, I've given you this gift. Whatever you have, your stuff is for stewardship. It's not to make you feel guilty. So what do you do? So Jesus says to finish the verse we started with, Matthew 6, 33, but seek, say it again. First, his kingdom. His righteousness, because Jesus would say, I mean, by the way, just a reminder, I'm inviting you into life to the full. I'm not after anything from you. I want something for you. Anybody who dies for you is for you. And so seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff you worry about, all the stuff that you obsess about, the stuff potentially that is controlling your life, your decisions, your anxiety patterns, your emotional health, all that stuff, all these things will be given to you as well. Meaning it's not, it's not either or, it's one and two. It is, I, I'm asking you to prioritize both, but somebody's kingdom has to come first. And Jesus is going, I'm inviting you to put my kingdom and other people's ahead of yours. Because that's the way into living life to the full that I've invited you into. And here's the thing, just practically. Some of you have already experienced that, right? Because here's just the practical like, street level. When you say yes to you and put you first long enough to where you're constantly giving in to in some cases distorted desires, yes, yes, me, yes. And that's just the human way, man. We think if I'm gonna have a happy marriage, get mine first. If I'm gonna have a happy life, like I need to make sure I take care of me. I mean, that's just how we think. And yet for some of you, You have said yes to you and put you first for so long that you have already come to the conclusion to realize what Jesus is talking about. If you put you first long enough, eventually you will come in last. And you will come in last because when you say yes to you for too long, eventually you will not be able to say no to you any longer. And you will end up, isn't it true? Some of you could amen me if we did that. You will become mastered and controlled by your own appetites that are undermining and sabotaging your own life. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you into something better. And here's the thing, I don't know if all of you believe this or not, but I think you were created by a creator and because of that, because you were manufactured and you were woven together and you were created by a creator, you were created to seek first that creator. And in any area of your life where you don't do that, this is just a promise, your life will become disordered. Because God has given kind of a pathway to go, this is what it looks like to model what it means to live in this world. And this is what it looks like to follow me. And I'm your creator and I know you and I know life better than you do. And I want you to trust me. So the question is, okay, what are we doing? So Jesus told us, you need to prioritize, especially in this area of your life, your money, your stuff, your finances, you need to prioritize something and someone else above you. And here's the thing, man, again, if you're not a jesus follower, congratulations. You don't have to do any of this. If you are, maybe I already said this, but the services get mixed around in my mind. So Um, I probably said this at the beginning, but if if you're one of those people that come every week and you don't do anything that I say, you can just do that again this week. So there's no pressure. You're off the hook. But I I just wanna tell you, this is how the majority of Americans, culture, and everybody lives. And I would characterize it this way. It's me first living. It's live first it's upgrade first, it's book it first, make sure that you know we feel good, we need a little bit more, do we have enough, I think we need a whatever, make sure that we renovate that first, live, you know, go on the trip, do the thing, upgrade the thing, buy the thing, but live first. And then after we live first, every time we get paid, it's like, do I have anything to save? And by the way, about 50 plus percent of Americans don't do that either, so really it's just to kind of live, and live bleeds into number two. And then give third, which means, Every once in a while when my heart's moved or somebody shares a story or there's a video and it happens to just work out that month and I have a little bit extra, I'll give where my emotions are moved, but that's all it ever is. And I'm not being like harsh. That is just statistically, that is American culture. The more you have, the more that you give away. We give away on average, a top end 2% of all of the stuff that we have. And basically it's me first living and it's leftover giving. It's, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna accumulate, I'm gonna upgrade, I'm gonna make sure I have mine. Maybe I'm gonna save, the majority of Americans don't do that. And then I'm gonna give every once in a while. And I feel grateful, but I also feel financial pressure because there's no margin. And I never expressed that gratitude. And here's the thing, man, once upon a time, there was a group of people in the first century and they took this idea and message from Jesus and they didn't just give their stuff. They gave their lives, and I love what the author of Hebrews says. This is the aim for my life, though I'm never going to get there, but it's still the aim. He makes this statement that is so powerful when he says, This group of people in the first century that gave up everything, the world was not worthy of them. That they lived so countercultural and so generous and so upside down, it changed everything. And what it looked like was this. This is, as it relates to your finances, this is what seek first living looks like. Give first, which is so counter cultural. I'm telling you, you wanna look like a freak in culture as it relates to money and finances, just give first and you will be in the minority and save second and then live on the rest. Give first, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna get a plan. I'm gonna give a percentage. I'm gonna give it as a priority. Give first, save second, live on the rest. And I'm just gonna tell you, I was taught this. We talked about it a little bit last week with my dad. I was taught this at an early age. And it wasn't because I was spiritual, I was just taught it. And so it kind of led to this this practice that was practical that I realized that as you give first, you tend to be better and more responsible with your money. And so I'm a practical thinker, so I'm like, I'm gonna do that because anything that works, I'm gonna do it. And then over time, it moved from practical to spiritual where I recognized, no, this really is a source of expressing my gratitude through generosity. And I just, you don't have to believe this, but it is the one spiritual practice that every time I get with a young follower of Jesus or a young couple, or it doesn't matter age, I would go, listen, this is the one thing that has the power to change your life. It has changed the trajectory of my marriage, my kids, my future, my relationship with God to go, I'm just gonna live this way. I'm gonna give first. And I was just taught, this is not like a biblical mandate. I, I, over time, gave more than 10% of my income, save second with the idea of, well, I get to live on 80% of my income because all of it's been given by God. And I know we don't really live that way or believe that day to day, but as amazing as you are and your degrees and how well that that business startup has gone and all, I just wanna tell you, I love you. You You're awesome, you're amazing. But even the gifts in terms of your business prowess, that thing that just happened to hit the market at the right time, the fact that you were able to get that education because you live the way you live, God has had a hand in all of it. In everything that you have, you're a follower of Jesus is from him and so he says I want you to put me first give first save second live on the rest and I don't want to overstate this but I'm just going to tell you from my experience having this handed down to me I don't like I hate the whole like well if you give to God then you know this quid pro quo system God never says that okay so if you're like well if I give then God's going to give back 10 you already got your 10 all right God never promises that but the reality is there is something about it. When you, when you surrender this area of your life, surrender under the authority of God, I can't explain it. I feel like God has over and abundantly blessed again and again and again. And I can't explain it. But living on the like 80, 85% over the years, it feels like God over and over again has just multiplied that. Has opened up doors that we couldn't even imagine. And that's not why we do it. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you when you begin to sow in this direction and put God first in this direction, there is a tangible benefit, I think, over time in terms of what God does in your life, in terms of how God shows up in your life. And Jesus said this, again, take it up with him, but it's tangible, verifiable evidence that God is Lord and master of your life. It is tangible, verifiable evidence of your expression of gratitude. And the reality is that telling your money where to go controlling and not having it control you, telling your money where to go is proof it's not running the show. It is not calling the shots. It's not directing your life. It is not overpowering and overriding your expressions of gratitude. You are running the show and you are directing your life, your finances and your stuff. And then last thing on this part, and then I'll get right to end, but some of you are not gonna believe this. But when you surrender this area of your life, it becomes in many cases a keystone habit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A keystone habit is a habit that becomes a multiplicative or catalytic habit for every other habit in your life. And for some reason, because it's the hardest area to surrender because it's tangible, when you are willing to surrender at this area of your life, in many cases, chains begin to break in other areas of your life. That your faith will grow. And the byproduct in a lot of cases is what many American Christians don't experience. Peace a life that is ordered around gratitude and around generosity. And Jesus was so clear that the litmus test of your devotion, of your gratitude, is your willingness to put him and others first, not include them, put them first in this arena of your life. As so as we end, I wanna give you one practical thing and you don't have to do any of it. You can just go your way, get lunch. We'll see you next week for part two, but I wanna challenge you for two months because I believe so strongly in this. Choose a percentage of your income and give it away as soon as you get paid. And you're gonna be a freak in culture. Nobody does this. This is so counterculture, but to pick a percentage of your income, give it away as soon as you get paid. And listen, I, I believe this is just, what I believe in terms of our faith, that the church is the epicenter of what God's doing. But listen, if that's your roadblock, don't give it to the church. Find something to give it to because I seriously care about your life. God's fine, God's gonna do his thing, but I want your life to be better. And when you begin to order and reorder your life around it, your life will be better. God will begin to work. So just give it somewhere. For me, the local church is at the epicenter because through serve our city, we're able to help people with physical needs. We're also every baptism story, every kid who trusts Christ, every family who's rearranged, I get to be a part of that. And I think it's the epicenter of God's plan. But regardless, just do something Pick something to be generous, and here it's not spontaneous generosity. Everybody does that. You feel in need, happens to work out. You got extra on your paycheck. Yeah, I'm gonna give that away. That's not living generously, giving away a percentage, a percent of your income. But when you begin to go, I'm gonna have a plan. For me, it's I said it: recurring giving. Every time we're paid, it goes away. I pick a percentage because I wanna control this area of my life. I don't wanna get to the end of a year and just kind of like be surprised at what I gave away. I want my life to be ordered around this. For me, it's a little over 10%. I'm not asking, or saying you should do that. That's just me. But pick a percentage and then give it first. Make it a priority. I mean, just do it for two months to go, okay, God, I'm gonna try you. I'm gonna put you first and your kingdom before my kingdom And I'm gonna watch what you do. And then this is the last thing, because I get every time you preach this kind of message, there's all kind of tension. Pay, attend, nervous laughter, pay attention to the tension that you feel. You don't have to do anything, don't do anything. Keep doing what you're doing, fine. Pay attention to the tension you feel. Because in a lot of cases, it will bring awareness. In some cases, it will open the door to what God wants to do. And you just need to ask the question, why do I feel the way that I feel? Why am I arguing in my mind again? Why do I have all of this resistance and all of these kind of things going back and forth? This is the question. What is at the center of your resistance? Because what you might find, it has nothing to do with your money or your finances. And it may have everything to do with what Jesus said. It's a question of who is Lord and master of your life. And here's the thing, if you're a follower of Jesus, your money is a better servant than it is a master every single time. It was made to be ruled over, not to rule you. And I'm just so grateful. And this is what I want for, especially so many young families that I was taught this at a young age. And I try to teach my kids this. And you are like, well, so the church can get their money? No, so that money won't get them. So in a culture where people are flying out of control in this area, that they would learn to live with generosity, with gratitude, not being controlled by their appetites. Because the reality is for all of us that in every area of your life, unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just go strong, but I'll say it in love. If you're a follower of Jesus, let's not kid ourselves. If Jesus is not Lord, is not first in the area of our finances, he isn't really first. We're not really, we feel it, but we're not really expressing gratitude. We're not, I mean, it's heaven when we die, we believe, but we're not maybe really following Jesus. In some ways, for some of us, we're maybe using Jesus. And so in Jesus' words, he said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate the one or you're gonna love the other, or you're gonna be devoted to the one and you're gonna despise the other. You cannot serve both God and God and your pursuit and acquisition of money and stuff when you put it first in your life. So let's do this. And for some of you, this is gonna be a defining spiritual moment because for the first time in your life, you're gonna surrender all of you to all of him. And I don't know what God's gonna do in your life, but here's what I know from history, that seek first living, change the world once. And you may not believe it because you think money is non-spiritual, everything else is spiritual. But as you begin to prioritize Jesus in this area, for some of you, it's gonna change... Your family is gonna change your relationships. If the church began to live others first kingdom, God first, the people in our community first, even if we disagreed with them, our city, our communities, our neighborhoods would begin to change. So Jesus says, you got a kingdom and I'm okay with that. And I have a kingdom. I'm just asking you to put my kingdom first. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and I'll have your back. you guys stand with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. I know every time you talk about a subject like this, there's tension all over the place. And so take my feeble attempts to explain this and do what you are so good at. Contextualize this, sear it into the hearts of some of us because as resistant as we are to some of these topics, for a bunch of people, it is exactly what we needed to hear today. And we know, despite the arguments in our own mind, that there's some layers of resistance below the surface that have nothing to do with our stuff. It has everything to do with our surrender to you. And so wherever we are, I pray that even if we don't do anything yet, you would lead us to the place to believe that that prompting, that angst that we feel, that movement toward the following the rhythm of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we're followers of Jesus, that we would recognize it's your invitation into something better, that you are not trying to withhold, that you have invited us into life to the full and all that you desire is surrender. And so God, do your thing, move in our hearts, and we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?